dismiss our school-age kids. They're eager and ready to go. I mean, y'all can stay if you want, but uh, we'll dismiss them. And I'll invite the rest of you to open up to that passage in Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> Happy New Year to those I haven't seen. We were uh, taking down all of our Christmas stuff on New Year's Day. Anybody still got their Christmas stuff up? It's still up. You're still holding on to the hope and joy. <laughs> I love it. I don't think my kids would ever take it down if it were left up to them. Uh, I got rid of Claire's Christmas tree last year at Easter. She kept it up through Easter. So, uh, or maybe it was this summer. I don't know. Um, I love the new year. We were taking down the Christmas stuff, and <clears throat> I leaned over and told Ashley, I love this day when we take it all down and put it up in the attic and don't see the bins anymore. As much as I love the day we set it up. <clears throat> I love New Year's Day and thinking about new things and how can we... Um, change the inputs of our life so that we can accomplish more in our life. It's just one of the weird ways that I'm, I'm wired. Um, but I encourage you, as we, you're hearing from some of us today, I encourage your families to sit down with your kiddos, maybe even today or tomorrow, and talk to them about what the Lord taught you in 2022. Because this is how we pass faith down from us and to our kids. And you can talk about the hard things and the good things, if you haven't done it, I encourage you for uh, spouses to get together and talk about this. What is the Lord doing? What has he done? What has he brought us through? That's part of the way that we <clears throat> entrust into others what God is doing in our own life. What I learned in 22, just a reminder that God has laid heavy on my heart. And it's this simple. And if you've talked to me in the past couple of weeks, it's come out. But it's that you reap what you sow. This is a biblical principle. This is the way that God has made the world to work, that you reap what you sow. Or to say it proactively, plant what you want to grow. Plant now what you want to see growing in your life. If I'm honest, I want a cheat code. I want a shortcut. I want to get the rewards that only come through discipline and patience of sowing and reaping. But I want them quickly. I, I, want, uh, I want the shortcut. I want to lose weight overnight. You ever done that? Think, man, if I go to bed tonight and wake up skinny, that would be awesome. If I go to bed and just wake up muscular, that would just be, that would be amazing. If I go to bed and wake up rich, <clears throat> I want to be the best father. But being the best father takes a lot of work and investment on my part to be really close and intimate with my heavenly father as he confirms the identity in me and then go invest that in my <clears throat> kiddos there's no shortcuts there i want to be a great husband but again this is not something that i can hurry or some magic spell that i can cast you know how you become a great husband or a great spouse a great wife by walking with the lord and selflessly serving your spouse and you just do it over and over and over again, pursuing the heart of my wife by investing in her and being attentive to her and having even sometimes hard conversations with her without any sort of agenda. We love to go on vacation together. We went, had a couple of days in Dallas this week, and it's great because it's just me and her, and we get to focus on each other. But then we come back home, and we have to walk through the mundane and the hard things of life together. But that's how a healthy marriage is built there's no cheat code in marriage and if you give the best of yourself to everything else but your marriage but your kids but to the lord you give the best of yourself 
You're going to give the best of yourself to something in 2023. Your best moments, your most attention. Maybe it's your money, it's your resources. You're going to give the best of you to something. My encouragement, what God's teaching me, you reap what you sow, plant what you want to grow, is to give the best of yourself to the Lord and to the people he's put around you. I want to be God's man. I want to see him work in and through me. But I want him to do it quickly. But if you know, if you know the Lord, he is never in a hurry. I reap what I sow. I plant what I want to grow. If I want to grow closer to the Lord, if I want to see him do immeasurably more than I can ask or think or even imagine, then I have to invest in my walk with him, my intimacy with him. We see Jesus doing this all the time. And this is kind of segue into our, our vision series. We start every January with a vision series. We call it a bunch of different things. It's really the same thing. If you've been with us for several years, you've heard this, that Jesus lived his life in really three directions, up, intimacy with the Father, inward, doing life with other believers and those closest to him, and then outward to a lost world. This is what he does. Now, we've called it different things. We've called it disciple, family, missionary. We've, we've called it uh, these, different, these different ideas, but this is the point. This is the direction. This is the these are the directions that we should invest our life in 2023. This is what we should do. The life of Jesus was lived up towards the Father, in with the disciples and other believers, and then out towards the lost world. Again and again, if you read through the Gospels, you're going to see these directions interwoven in his life. That is what being a disciple or follower of Jesus really is about. In Luke 10, this is when the teacher of the law came and asked him and said, what is the greatest commandment? He answered two of these. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and with all your mind. That's the upward. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's actually the outward. This is in the context. He would then tell the, the, the teacher of the law would say, well, who is my neighbor? And he would tell the parable of the, of the good Samaritan. So love the Lord your God, upward direction. Love your neighbor yourself. That's the outward direction. And then the inward in John 13, he couldn't have said it any clearer than this, a new commandment. So he's tying this commandment to that commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, this is the inward dimension, the inward direction. So that's where we're headed. We're going to cover the up today. And our passage today actually has, has all of them really in it. The goal for this series is not to be that we finish and everyone just knows a little bit more, has a little bit more knowledge. No, what I want to do is give you a vision of what God's calling us to through the process of formation that comes with these specific practices. There are practices that you do. There are inputs that you invest in that produce this kind of result in a person's life. Many of us are normally good at one of them or two of them. It's like a three-legged stool up here. If it's just got two legs, it's gonna fall over. It's not gonna support its own weight. You really need all three of these directions to be healthy and whole, to really follow after Jesus as a disciple of his. Today's step is the foundation. It's really the ground for everything else, and it's our connection to the Father. Jesus' first words were what? Do you remember? I must be about my Father's business. 
In his Sermon on the Mount, he speaks of the Father 17 times. In his final discourse, this is John 14 through 17, 45 times he talks about the Father. Finally, on the cross, his very last words are to the Father. In this passage, our passage, and I don't have the whole thing on the screen, in our passage in Mark chapter 1, so if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. This is such a great, I love Mark's gospel. If you've never read through Mark's gospel, I encourage you to read through it. He, I love Mark because he is, the, he is the gospel writer that gets right to the point. None of the fluff. He is just like, I don't need all the other stories. He is, he, he, he says it almost everyone and immediately and at once this thing happened. It's like I'm watching an old cartoon of Batman. You know, he just, it is, it is happening. And I love that. If you ever watch TV with me, you're going to be so frustrated with me because I watch an hour-long TV show in 22 minutes. That's just what I do. I don't care about the, the B or the C or the love inch. I could care less about who you're breaking up with or getting together. I want to see the resolution of the main plot of the show or the movie. And so my kids, they just don't watch TV with Dad. They just don't like it. I just fast-forward the whole thing. This is what Mark does almost, though. You get into Mark 1, and he didn't tell you anything really about the incarnation, anything really about the angels, all the things we talk about at Christmas. Mark, Mark doesn't mention any of that. He just gets there and be like, and Jesus was there, and he started to do ministry. That's how he started his, his, his gospel. Luke, we went, took three years to walk through the book of Luke. He's so detailed and so scientific. He tells us how many fish they're pulling in. John, John's the emotional gospel. John's the beloved he talks about laying his head, his head on the chest of Jesus. He, he just, he includes all the emotions of what people were feeling. And I love that. I love that he does that. But Mark is just straight to the point. He skips all the genealogy, most of the Christmas story, jumps right in. Hey, Jesus is becoming famous. Look at it in, in chapter uh, one with me. It says in verse, Jesus started healing some people. And when you start healing people in a day where they're not even hospitals, you become famous pretty quickly. And Jesus is becoming famous. In verse 28 of chapter 1, it says that his fame spreading is spreading everywhere. In verse 33, it says that the, the whole city is gathered by his door. He heals many. In verse 32, at the evening and sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then in verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is the upward dimension. This is the seeking intimacy with the Father. Did he want a few more hours of sleep? Oh, I'm sure he did. I've never healed anyone, but I imagine it takes a lot of, a lot of energy. But, you know, it's certainly more than cutting the grass. I mean, this, this is what Jesus is doing out there. Verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone's looking to you. This was the inward dimension as he had just in this very chapter called the disciples to walk with him. He was pouring his life into other believers. And he said in verse 38, he said to them, let us go to the next town that I may preach the gospel there, for that's why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons, the up, the in, the out. You see it in the life of Jesus. And we would do well to model our life, the investment of our life in these three directions. Up with intimacy with the Father, 
in with other believers where we really do life, not that we're just with them, but that we, we really do life in an authentic and genuine way and we confess our struggles. And Jason's going to talk a little, little bit about that next week. And then outward to the lost world, Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We like to say around here, the last, the lost, and the least are near the heart of God. And he is sending us to do the very same thing. So let's look at this first one. The son of God, the one whom everything that was made was made through him, Colossians tells us, who condescended to earth, who put himself in the form of a baby and is now in the birth canal of a teenager who had the power to do miracles and forever in communion with the Holy Spirit. Part of the Godhead, Jesus himself is going to wake up early, his physical body tired, so that he can get alone into a quiet space and pray. Spending time with the Father was the aim of his life. And friends, there's a lot of strategies of walking with God in 2023, but let me tell you, connection to the Father, that's the ball game. It, it really is the whole thing. And our enemy and our culture and the world and even your own flesh will war against that primary connection more than anything else. They'll turn up the noise. They'll get you the most frustrated. Uh, any, any tactic that can happen will happen because Satan has one great goal for your life. And it's not deconstruction, and it's not moral failure. It's not bad theology. It's not deconversion. His one goal for your life is to sever your connection to the Father. If he wins on that front, friends, he wins on every front. Don't we see this in the life of Jesus? The harder he worked, the more spiritual life he poured into other people, the more his commitment was to getting outside of town into a desolate place and praying and spending time with the Father. The more intense things got in the life of Jesus, the more he withdrew. The entire city here pressing at the door. And he says, you know what, I got to retreat and spend time with the Father. After a hard day of ministry, he wasn't looking for a strong drink. He wasn't looking just for friends to vent with. What he needed, he knew what he needed, was time alone with the Father. <clears throat> this is Mark's recording of this, but every one of the Gospels makes this a point. And you may have missed it. I encourage you to read through it again and look for these, the upward, the inward, the outward. Luke makes it unmistakable that the pattern of retreat and reentry was part of the ongoing dynamic of Christ's human life. He departed and went into a desolate place. Luke chapter 4, verse 42, not just once, but regularly. I think I have this one. It says he would often withdraw to desolate places to pray. In Matthew, after the death of John the Baptist, <clears throat> Matthew 14 records that Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But even then the crowds pursued him <clears throat> and he didn't despise them. This is where he puts his desire to retreat on hold for just a minute. He had compassion on them and healed the sick. And after feeding them 5,000 strong, he withdrew again to a private place. It says in Matthew 14 verse 23, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. 
And if we can have real talk here between my heart and your heart, I need a way of life that keeps me close to God. I need a rhythm in my life that keeps my mind aware of the presence of God around me. I need the words of God in my heart to meditate over when doubt and discouragement come at me. I need a practice where I receive supernatural power to actually walk in the way of Jesus, where I'm continually filled with the Spirit of God and empowered to walk in wisdom and grace and where the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings into my life as spiritual fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. I need a pattern in my life, a rhythm, a practice, a way of formation where I can become this kind of person. A lot of people think that Christianity is mostly about believing the right things, but it's not. There's a myth that information alone produces transformation. But again, that's a myth. Christianity is about intimacy with the Father, hearing from the Father through his word, through prayer, hearing and then obeying. Hearing from God through prayer and the word and then walking in obedience to what he says, what he shows us, where he leads us. And I need practices and disciplines in my life. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you probably do too. That help me do this on a daily, hourly, minute by minute kind of way. So I'm going to give you some practices and how we do that here in just a minute. Before I get that, this, the two things that sabotage our walk with the Lord. And you probably know what these are. There are really two things that really sabotage the intimacy with the Father. And the first is sin. That's pretty obvious to most of us. When we sin, allow sin in our life, unconfessed sin, that our understanding, Romans says, becomes as darkness. Paul would tell the church at Corinth that your heart becomes toughened or seared. When I have ongoing sin in my life, unconfessed sin, sin without repentance, I'm not saying we won't mess up. We'll mess up. If you're like me, I mess up a lot. I've already messed up several times today that I'm sure of. But that's why the, the longer you walk with God, the more beautiful this idea of repentance is. Because your relationship with God was never based upon your performance or your production. It's based upon the righteousness of Jesus and you being in him. Sin grieves the heart of God. It quenches the Spirit's work in and around you. It leads back to old patterns of your old life before God. So sin sabotages the intimacy. Second thing, and this is, I, I'm, I don't know a lot of you, but I'm almost positive that there's probably maybe 100% of us in this room that, that struggle with this on some level, the same thing. The second thing is Hurry. It's hurry. We live in a fast-paced world, and we are always in a hurry. You can't pursue anything deeply when you're in a hurry. I told you I went out of town to Dallas last week with Ashley. What's so great about that? It's not because Dallas is just so amazing. I mean, they do have some pretty great restaurants. I don't know who we need to call to get those restaurants over here. But, but you know what? It's, it's just not hurried. You know, if I took my wife out on date night, as Tracy said that, uh, Jason said that him and Tracy went out, if I, you know, we, Ashley and I try to do that weekly. If we get somewhere and they bring the chips and queso out, because that's when the Lord really shows up with the chips and queso's present. 
filed by steak fajitas. It's the truth. It's the truth. And I said, okay, babe, we got five minutes. Would you reveal to me the depths of your soul in five minutes? She would look at me like I was a crazy person. Because you can't hurry intimacy. You can't hurry intimacy with your spouse. You can't hurry intimacy with your kids. You can't hurry this close nearness with good friends. And hurry is really what sabotaged most of our relationship with the Father. It's hurry. Because even if we do sit down with our Bibles open in a posture of prayer, we got three minutes or four minutes or five minutes. Not to mention all the distractions of uh, cell phones and iPads and being digitally connected to everything. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And there's a difference between being busy and being hurried. Busy is a condition of the body having a lot to do. Hurry is a condition of the soul in which I'm so preoccupied that I can't be fully present to God or to anyone else. John Mark Comer wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's a book I have to read twice every year. Jesus was often busy. He had three years to save the world. But he was never hurried. Even when everyone else wanted him to hurry. Come on, Jesus, we got to go. We got to get to this thing, got to get to this thing. He's like, wait, who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus, everybody touched you. You're in the, you're, we we got to get, we got to go, we got to go. He's like, no, 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 that can wait. Somebody who wanted to touch me touched me. And he would stop. And he would leave the most important people waiting. He's walking through Jericho where all the highest officials and priests are. He's walking through there. It's big parade I'm sure his following's growing and what does he see this little short man up in a tree Zacchaeus the worst sinner in the town hey why don't you come down let's go have dinner at your house can you imagine all the people judging him under his breath well, who is he's got to go see the high priest he's got to go fellowship with the with the missionary surely he's going to go spend the, no no he wanted to go because Jesus was never hurried can you imagine? What would an unhurried life look like for you? Let's look at the first practice, the practice of the word of God. <clears throat> you know, Jesus didn't have his own material, personal material copy of the Bible. He didn't have it. He didn't have the NIV study Bible. He didn't have a ESV study Bible. He didn't have a teenager study Bible. <clears throat> Most of us have that thing. We probably have it in here. What Jesus did have was that he had hidden the word of God in his heart. He heard what was read aloud in the synagogue as they would meet. He heard and remembered the songs, the psalms, literally, that his mother sang. He rehearsed what he had heard and he put it to memory. That's what he had. And yet throughout his recorded mystery, ministry we see evidence of a man utterly captivated by what is written in the text of scripture 
And like Christ, friends, we will do well to make God's own words in the Bible to be the leading edge of our own seeking to draw near to him. At the very outset of his public ministry, and I'm going to give you just lots of verses, and I can send you this whole message later if, if you want all these. <clears throat> At the very outset of his public ministry, Jesus retreated into the wilderness, and there, remember the temptations, and how did he answer the devil in every one of those temptations without his leather-bound copy of the Word of God? From his heart, he answered him every time, it is written. It is written. It is written. Then returning from the wilderness to his hometown of Nazareth, he stood up to read, remember, in the synagogue, and he took the scroll of Isaiah in chapter 61, and he announced, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Talk about a man who knew the word of God. Jesus identified John the Baptist as he of whom it is written in Matthew 11, and he cleared the temple of the money changers on the grounds of what it is written. My house shall be a house of prayer. You have made a den of robbers. It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. He rebuked the proud by quoting scripture in Matthew, I mean in Mark 7 and Luke 20. Every step of the way to Calvary over and over again, he knew everything would happen as it is written. The son of man goes as it is written of him, Mark 14. See, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, Luke 18. Even though Jesus didn't have his own Bible to page through in his quiet times, let there be no confusion about the central place of God's holy word hidden in his heart. He lived by what was written. What an amazing opportunity that we now have today with Old and New Testaments in paper and ink and with us and several apps on your, on your phone or your devices to daily give ourselves over to the words of God, the inspired word of God. But between sin and hurriedness and maybe our own apathy, most of us don't. We let everything in our life push our intimacy with the Father, sever our connection with the Father, and then our life begins to move in a downward spiral. Let me encourage you a few things, friends. <clears throat> Read God's word to hear from God. I can't tell how many people come to me and say, Pastor, I need to know what God's will is in this thing in my life. Where am I going to go to school? And what am I going to do about dating this person? And I said, are you, first of all, are you following and obeying the revealed will of God through Scripture? Because oftentimes the Holy Spirit will not give you any inclination about these secondary things and where you should go to school and who you should marry. And those are very important until we begin to walk and follow in obedience to the primary things that he's given us through his word. I hope you have a Bible reading plan, but don't read the Bible this year just to check it off the list. Read the Bible to hear from God. Listen, I love the reading plans. We need to discipline ourselves to hearing and being with God. I get that. But once God really has your heart, the plan just kind of goes out the window. Listen for the purpose of hearing his voice. He is still speaking, friends. And he's got a lot to say to us. 
People tell me all the time, especially men, well, I'm, well, I'm not a reader. That is no excuse. Listen to it then. Sing it. Pray it. Meditate on it. Memorize it all. Listen, I hate talking on the phone. You know this. I've told you this. I hate talking on the phone. If you've known me for more than a month or two, I've hung up on you three times. I just, I don't mean to do it. It's a bad habit. I try to get out of it. I think I got it from my grandmother. Um, but needless to say, that's just, that's just who I am. I'm not really trying to be rude. It's just we call to exchange some information. And once the information is exchanged, I'm off the phone. I view it more like a walkie-talkie, you know? Just say copy at the end of that, and you can hang up, and you're good, right? Can we do that? Most of the teenagers are, what's a walkie-talkie? Before we had cell phones, teenagers, walkie-talkies were the greatest invention of all time. They were amazing. But when I met Ashley, all my weird quirkiness and not, not being on the phone just kind of went out the window. I didn't care. I just wanted to be on the phone with her. Hey, what are you, what are you watching? What are you studying? She made her first B in college when she started dating me. Almost broke up with me right there. Time was no issue because she had my heart. Do you see, do you see where I'm going? When the father really has your heart, time is no issue. Because your conversation that you start early in the morning in a quiet place just kind of carries along all day. Yeah, you still got to work and teach and you got to do the things that you get paid to do. But you do it in constant communion with him. Does that make sense? I love the picture of Psalms 1. You know this. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever they do, it prospers. What a, what a, great, what a great start 2023. Memorize Psalms 1. Just talks about what the righteous man does. He meditates on the word of God. And although he's in an environment that's pretty desolate, that there should be reason why there's no fruit on the tree and the, and the leaves are withering, but not the righteous no, it doesn't matter what the condition or the circumstance is. He's still producing fruit in season. His leaf is not withering. Why? Because they have something going on under the surface that no one else knows about. Circumstances can't steal their joy. Toxic people <clears throat> can't alter their identity. Bad news and a hard job and difficult people, they're still displaying fruit in the middle of the desert. And I just love that picture. And when a community of people who all walk like this, that have these roots that are down deep into the stream of God, and we've got what Jesus would say, a, a river within us bubbling up inside of us. When a people like that, when a church gets hold of that identity, they become a, an oasis in the middle of the desert that you can see from 1,000 miles away. You can, you can see from 100 miles away, you cross the next hill and like, Man, it looks like there's some, like some palm trees over there and there's, there's water. It looks like life is there. Man, I pray that for our church, that we are people who are connected to the heart of God. This is something that we can't fake for long. It has to be true. It has to be authentic. It has to come from walking with the Father, this spiritual fruit. Because when we walk with the Father, intimacy with the Father, we're reminded of our identity. The Holy Spirit begins to work and we, we, we understand who we are and whose we are. And this 
This leads us to supernatural change. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans, that we can be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This supernatural, radical change is possible. The selfish can be made selfless. The greedy can become generous. The arrogant can become humble. The bitter can be made forgiving. The lustful can have a pure heart. The angry can become meek. The anxious, peaceful. The insecure can become confident. We can see real change, real supernatural change, but we can't do it without our connection to the Father. Try all you want, discipline yourself all you want, might be somewhat profitable, but unless you address the root of your life, change will only be temporary. But if you change the root system, incredible things are possible. This is the invitation of Jesus to follow in his way being connected to the Father. I love that Jesus took the disciples with him to learn how to be connected to the Father. He was always taking a few of them with him. Hey, won't you come with me up the mountain? Won't you come with me into the garden? Won't you come with me and watch this happen? He was teaching them how to be connected to the Father. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer gives us this warning. The whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. We have almost forgotten that God is a person and as such can be cultivated as any person can. The casualties of mechanized religion are many. It's one thing to witness spiritually empty people outside the church. What concerns me, he says, is meeting more and more Christians inside the church who suffer the same spiritual emptiness. Friends, how's your intimacy with the Father? What's the last time when you're reading God's word and the spirit inside of you just jumped on a word or a phrase, brought conviction, brought encouragement? The second practice, it's reading the word. The second practice is, is prayer, but a lot of times it's hard to see the difference. Like, And then thirdly would be even obedience. And those three all just kind of go hand in hand when it comes to walking with God. Prayer, to put simply, is just talking and listening to God. It's, it's a conversation with God. For many of us, if we really want to admit it, and we're going to do a prayer series coming up through Lent, prayer is confusing. Not knowing how to pray or what to pray. Maybe we've been taught a certain formula that we're supposed to follow when we pray and we can't really remember it. And you're like, oh, I skipped a step. It just invalidated the whole thing. But prayer is not meant to be this way. We can learn from Scripture how to pray. But it's more about our hearts and our attitudes as children coming to a loving Father than it is about entering with the right kind of words. Prayer is meant to be a conversation where your life and your God meet together. I think a lot of people fail to pray properly or pray more regularly or really understand prayer at all is because our goal is to pray and it's not to know God. And that's why I say prayer is simply talking to God. It's amazing to me that a four-year-old can often pray better than a 34-year-old because a four-year-old is just praying from his heart. This summer, our students were at Camp Fuego and Hudson and I went down to catch a little of that and we're driving back up and we stopped through some drive through and get some food. And I asked Hudson to, to pray. 
And if you know Hudson, he's a, he can be a pretty quiet, pretty reserved kid. He's a funny kid, really funny. But he can, he can be kind of quiet, especially if just other adults in the, in the, anyway. So I'm there with Hudson. I asked Hudson to pray. I text Ashley right after. My jaw hit the floor. The things that came out of that little dude's mouth. He was talking to God. The kiddos that are in here, teenagers in here. What did Paul say to Timothy? Don't let anyone despise you because you're young. You can talk to God. You can have boldness before the throne. Prayer is meant to be this conversation with God. This is how we walk in intimacy with him through the word of God, through prayer. Let me drop this Paul Miller quote on you. Prayer is asking God to incarnate to get dirty in your life. Yes, the eternal God scrubs floors. For sure we know he washes feet. So take Jesus at his word. Ask him, tell him what you want. Get dirty. Write out your prayer request. Don't mindlessly drift through life on the American narcotic of busyness. If you try to seize the day, the day will eventually break you. Seize the corner of his garment and don't let go until he blesses you. This will reshape the day. I love this. If you've never heard of that author, Paul Miller wrote a book called The Praying Life, and it's the best book I've ever read on prayer. And to put these two together, oftentimes in my own life that I pray the actual words of God. Prayers that start in heaven are heard by heaven. So I want to let Scripture guide my prayers. And not all the time. But in the mornings, when I read through the word of God, and this is what I encourage you to do, to read just a few verses and to read them real slowly, read them aloud. I've told you that four or five verses and look for where God's at work and look for gospel patterns as you read. But then highlight maybe in a different color the words that you want that just kind of jump in your heart that you want to pray back to God. And after you've read those few passages a couple times at the end of that, you can begin praying God's word back to him. I was reading in 1 Peter this week. about the confidence that we have in our Lord. And I just begin to pray that back to him, Lord, help me to have the kind of confidence in you that Peter had, that John had, that Mark had. One thing is certain, our most powerful prayers are hyperlinked to the promises of God. When you know you're praying the promises of God, you can pray with such a holy confidence. I love to listen to people pray that pray the word of God. I don't know if you caught this a couple weeks ago, one of our Christmas services. Emily was up here praying. Y'all remember that? And she started praying out of Isaiah something. And you could just feel the presence of God into the room. What if your small group, or your community group came up with 10 verses that you could remember? that you can memorize this year to start using in your prayers. Intimacy with God, connecting him through the word of God, through prayer, and finally, just this part of obedience. We're, we're done. I'm a, the band, you can, you can go and come on back up. The last part is just to do what he says. 
This is what James says. How, how foolish is it for you to read the word and not do what it says? Another Paul Miller quote from Praying Life. We need the sharp-edged, absolute character of the word and the intuitive personal leading of the spirit. The word provides the structure, the vocabulary. The spirit personalizes it to our lives. If we believe scripture only applies to people in general, then we can miss how God intimately personalizes his counsel to us as individuals. We can become deists, effectively removing God from our lives. But everywhere in scripture, we see God speaking to us with a personal touch, prompting us to obey and to love. Plant what you want to grow. You want, a, you want a life closer to God? You'll be as close to him as you want to be when you invest in these practices. You're investing the best of yourself into something. What is it? I'm gonna ask you to pray a real dangerous prayer. We're gonna take communion in a minute. It's this beautiful picture of our reminder of us, the identity of all that God did for us and our identity in him as we literally consume this physical symbol of this eternal reality of us with God. And I'm encouraging you to do this. This is another way, just another practice to remind us of who we are and whose we are. But before we do that, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to pray the, the prayer of David. Would you... Would you pray, would you ask God to search your heart? Again, this is a dangerous prayer because he's going he's gonna to search it. David says, oh God, would you search my heart? Would you show me if there's any wicked way in me? Maybe we could just pray that. Maybe, this, maybe we don't even know what, what we're pursuing and we could just ask God to search our heart. Lord, would you show me my priorities? Would you help me align my loves and priorities with you? Would you help me to plant the right things in my life, in my home this year? God, we love you. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for this invitation that we can walk with you. Not when we get our act together, not when we get all cleaned up. No, we can just come to you even now. This is your invitation. Come. Lord, I pray that room this size, many have been playing religious games for a long time. They've been learning a lot about you, but they don't know you. Lord, could they meet you today? As the psalmist says, could they taste and see today that you're good? And lives would be forever changed. Some of us in here were just guilty of that hurry thing and we just live such a hurried life. And church is just another thing and quiet time's another thing, just another thing for us to get through so we can get to the next thing and the next thing and pass out on our couch when we come home. Lord, you want so much more for us than that. Help us to reorder our priorities, help reshape the loves of our life. God, do in us what only you can do. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.
I invite you to take communion. I invite our communion servers up. Just when you're ready, take as much time as you need there in your seats, praying that prayer. Lord, search my heart, oh God, search my heart. Me and some of the prayer team will be in the back. If you want to just pray with someone, maybe you should want to pray that 2023 is a year of consequence for you. Maybe there's some sin you're struggling with and you've been struggling a long time. You just need help praying through that. Maybe you got a good friend or spouse or even your own kids who are wandering from God. You just want someone to join you in prayer. Our prayer team would just delight in having such a privilege to partner with you in prayer. Our community servers are here. You come when you're ready. Thank you.